Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that dies to their own pack trigger, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the Supreme Phantom herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Hey, uh, could be better to be honest. Um, so oh. I think I'm coming down with a cold. Um, so don't worry, it's not COVID. I've had my test this morning, came back negative. So all good on that front. Cool. Um, so we've had some really like cold and stormy weather in England. We've got a couple of storms rolling through at the moment. And unfortunately, I got caught in one of them on the way home uh, yesterday. Lovely. Um, yeah, which is just classic British, Irish <laughs> winters, right? Where you just get caught in this stuff. Yeah. Um, I'll be all right. I just need to drink my weight in tea and be buried under approximately 100 blankets. Um, yeah. So in terms of content, it's been fairly busy for me recently since, mm. you know, now I'm back into my freelancing ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so last Sunday, uh, I did a wrap up of the Red Bull Untapped MTG Arena event for Red Bull. Um, I'll go over some of the top eight decks and look at the meta game for the event, which is standard. So if you're into the MTG Arena standards landscape, check it out. Mm. Then over at Dicebreaker, I wrote up a quick guide on the difference between Warhammer 40k and Age of Sigma. So this piece is angled more towards the newer players who want to jump into tabletop miniatures but don't know where to start. So I break it down into like design, law, gameplay, like what's more suitable for you. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking to jump into like miniature wargaming, check it out. It's a really, really comprehensive piece. Um, and then lastly, on the Friday the 3rd of December, I'll be on the Dicebreaker podcast as well. We'll be talking about magic and board games as well. So check nice. that out. We also come. Otherwise, I finished Cowboy Bebop on Netflix mm. and I really, really enjoyed it. I don't know about you. We yep. talked about it last week. It was very, very good. Um, it's just fun in the city take on such a great anime. Um, it's not a carbon copy, but that's great. I think mm -hmm. Cowboy Bebop's diverse enough that you can be a bit silly with it, right? Yeah. And that's it, really, from me. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just one final touch on the Cowboy Bebop thing is that you see over the last week on the internet, like there's people trying real hard to cope with the fact that it's not perfect and yeah. trying to come up with excuses for it. And then everyone else on the other side that are like, absolutely against it and they're like see look even the people that love it are trying to find like ways to get around saying they hate it or whatever like look it's it's good like it's not perfect basically no piece of media is so it, right. it's just because it had such an original cult following that like it's so blown out of proportion like that and the an original anime is so good i don't think you could beat it anyway it'd be, it'd be like, very hard to yeah it's very to hard right? like it's a very good effort like mm -hmm. I, I will watch it again no doubt but yeah yeah yeah, I'm gonna try and get Leanne to watch it, and nice. I'm I'm happy to to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah. Just for the corgi. Uh, good old line. I I was actually a little bit upset with the with the distinct lack of Ayn overall. I want Ayn to have their own show. Yeah. If you're here in Netflix, give me a corgi hacker show. Let's go. <laughs> but other than Cowboy Bebop, I have been good. Uh, I've been playing Sabeltra this week, and it really has been a trial by fire. Uh, <laughs> as you as you heard by the the intro, things happen this week. So generally speaking, I'm pretty adept to combo decks. Like I have a tendency to take them like a fish to water, because it's just 100% my jam. But this has been a bit of a challenge. So in a way, it's kind of like burn. It's easy to learn, but it's hard to master. So it, it's very easy to pick up the deck and be like, okay, just count to seven, drop a Belcher, and blow someone's face off. It's easy. It's where you get into recross the paths and, and all of the different piles and lines and that kind of stuff and Pyromancer Ascension stuff. That's where it starts getting real tricky. And it has been proving tough so far. Like I went to my LGS on Thursday for the small modern event. I went to one, which is fine. I would have been undefeated, however, except I sequenced my spells incorrectly and I died to a pack trigger like an absolute idiot. So, 
yeah, I know that for next time. Like, that's what matters. But, yeah, it, it was such a kicking myself kind of moment, you know? But, yeah, happens to the best of us. Yeah, and this week's article actually is about card draw spells in Commander. So this is another article for newer players or people that are new to the format where I cover the kinds of card draw spells that you need to run or that matter in the format. So that's live on Card Kingdom now. You can go check that out after the show. Outside of Magic, I've been doing two things mainly. First one is I've been watching Gravity Falls with Leanne. Gravity Falls is like an animated show. It's about two kids that stay with their weird granduncle, or as they call it, grunkle, uh, at his mystery shack in Oregon uh, for the whole summer. And just weird and mysterious stuff keeps happening. It's fun. It's silly. It's great if you love all of those old urban legends and, and weird and hilarious conspiracies and stuff. So, yeah, it's good. Nice. I'm about halfway through at the moment, and I recommend it so far. As for gaming, the second thing, I'm back into Final Fantasy XIV. So... I took a break for a while because I tend to have kind of waves of interest for different games and genres, you know, so sometimes I'll go like, oh, I want to play Dark Souls and I'll play that for a month and then I'll want to play Fallout and I'll go play that for a month and then now it's Final Fantasy XIV again and it's been really enjoyable. So yeah, Uh, I am, however, reaching a point that I'm naturally finding and discovering these missions and bosses that are really, really difficult, but not necessary. And they're the kind of bosses that you usually have to look up like a wiki and a bunch of like how-to videos and stuff on how to do it to get yeah. specific sp- uh, strategies for the fights. And I didn't know that until raiding parties were asking me if I knew my specific role for the fight. And I was like, well, I'm a tank. Yeah, I know what to do. And they're like, yeah, but you know what you're doing against this boss as the main tank and then switching to like a backup tank and stuff. And I'm like, um, what? No. <laughs> so <laughs> There's more than two tanks? <laughs> yeah, so they were, uh, they were they were starting to get um, a little bit frustrated because we had to try the same boss like seven or eight times. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go quit and watch like seven videos on how to do this. So, so. But it is still great fun. Um, some parts like that are really requiring some preparation now, though. So, But it is still doable and still fun. Uh, I'm also still on the free trial, by the way. So, like, nice. I've gotten to max level. I have, like, 80 hours in the game at this point. I still haven't paid a penny. It's really good it's, value. It's by far the best free trial that has ever existed. Like, there are, there are a couple of things you can't do. Like, you can't buy, like, in-game housing, or you can't, like, set up your own, like, parties or whatever. But you just, like, do dungeons with randomers online, and, like, there's never any issue, you know? Um, the whole yeah. community is pretty friendly and cool as well, so that's nice. But, nice. yeah, that has been myself. Have we got any housekeeping, actually, this week, Emma? We do indeed. So we would like to give a huge welcome and thank you to MF Peaches and Miss Eldritch, who are the new uh, latest mm. patrons of our Cheering Fanatic tier. So thanks again to both of you and enjoy all the benefits. Mm, absolutely. I was only playing recently with Miss Eldritch, actually. Ooh, yeah. nice. Yeah, she's lovely. Great fun. Great decks as well. She had a Joda five-color Eldrazi deck. That... I was hoping Eldrazi, hence the Eldritch name. Yeah. But, but I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, she tutored up a Morophon and then... Threatened Ooh, to make nice. the likes of Ulamog the Cecil Hunger uh, free. So, you know. That's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good play. <laughs> if you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMCast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. 
No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. All right, before we jump into the main section of the episode, Emma, it's your turn. What is the card of the week? So this card of the week is one I'm quite fond of back in uh, Oath the Gatewatch and Battle for Zendikar Standard, and that is Radiant Flames. So Mm -hmm. for two generic and a red, you get a sorcery, and it reads, so it has Converge. Uh, So Radiant Flames deals X damage to each creature where X is the number of colours of mana spent to cast Radiant Flames. Obviously, you don't really see this in, like, constructive formats anymore because there's just better cards around. Mm -hmm. But in terms of Commander, it's really, really good because it just allows you a flexible sweeper in three plus colour or more decks, right? It's also flexible, so you can just use, like, two mana. So you can use the red and just clear a load of, like, X1s. So say you're playing against Elves in Commander, you just want to clear all their X1s, but you don't want your 2-2s to die. It's a nice little flexible board wipe. And it's only 35 cents, so I'd pick it up if you're looking to um, have some board wipes in Commander in red. Mm. I remember running this in the early days of Pioneer in the sideboard nice. of Gruul Pummeler. Because you could... But that you works, could, yeah. You, that you works. could adjust it, you know, like you go, mm. you go and have, um, you have an Ether Hub. So you can yeah. potentially put three colours into it instead of just your green or red. Yeah, yeah it was it was pretty I good. I remember I when like that, that was really good in Pioneer. Everyone kind just played like Gruel or Simic Pomelo. It was like $40. It was I kind of want to put it back together again, yeah. I made a YouTube sweet. video on it when it came out, yeah. It was good. Nice. But speaking of Pioneer, moving very swiftly and smoothly into the main topic of the episode, we are talking about another Pioneer primer, and that is Bant and Azorius Spirits. So... This is a deck that Emma is quite familiar with, quite adept at, and it's going to be mostly herself talking for this one because I'm going to be honest. This is one of this is one of those decks that I've I think I've played one time, mm. didn't like it, put it away, and then every time I see it, I'm like, oh, it just ruins everything I want to do. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so basically, to those to those that don't know, it's a tempo it's a tempo aggro kind of deck. Um, it is a tribal deck as well because it has lords and that kind of thing it's quite disruptive it uses disruptive creatures to sort of slow down the opponent's game plan while also developing your board and it does that using creatures like mausoleum wanderer and spellcrawler to disrupt the opponent's spells and then uses like i said the lord effects like supreme phantom or watcher of the spheres to pump out your team and deal some extra damage and it curves out quite well generally speaking yeah it's very aggressive so now, I did mention that it is Bant and Azoria Spirits. Emma, what is the main differences between the two? So the reason you only go into Bant is very similar to the modern version that mm-hmm. used to be popular like two to three years ago now. Um, and that card is Collector Company. Collector Company is a very powerful card. It saw a lot of playing standards, saw a lot, sees a lot of playing Pioneer, and it still sees playing modern now. Just the ability to look at the top six and put two creatures into play at instant speed is really, really good, especially when you're a creature aggro slash disruptive deck right mm. ban is the more popular out of the two of azorius azorius tends to be a bit more disruptive so you tend to have a couple of counter spells in your list instead of collector companies and you have a much more streamlined mana base because you're not splashing for that third color so ban spirits is more popular because collector companies just really really good it's just a really good play mm. to do if you've got four mana open you've got nothing else to do on the end of your opponent's turn so it's it's very popular but azorius is still quite common it's yeah. also more budget friendly as well because collector companies are quite expensive at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, the difference, the big difference is that Azorius tends to lean on like in, more interaction and counter magic, and you also see stuff like Brazen Borrower more apparent yeah. in the Azorius lists as well. Okay, cool. And do you have any deck lists for the listeners or patrons? 
So I have I made one budget Azoria Spirits deck list, which is about mm-hmm. the $120 mark. But it's a bit weird to do them at the moment because we have already have the Azoria Spirits Challenger deck, the Pioneer yeah. one that came out in October. So if you are looking to build spirits, whether it's Azorius, whether it's Ban, or you just want to play it as it is, I'd recommend getting that first because it's insane value for money. You get like a couple of spell collars in there. You get your yeah. Mausoleum Wanderers. You even get a Brazen Borrower as well. Like if you want to stick to Azorius, that's really, really good, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, so there's a lot of good stuff to get you started. And more importantly, it just gives you those reps um, with the strategy to get you going because... Yeah. Spirits in general can be quite difficult to play and it's very sort of format dependent, like knowledge dependent. You need to know what you're disrupting, right? So just getting that those early reps in, even if it's not optimized, is a really, really good starting point. The challenger deck is decent out of the box. It's a little clunky because you have this they have like the tempo lands, which are really slow for like a tempo strategy. But yeah, that's the that's the best starting point. But there is a hundred and twenty dollar list for patrons if you want to check it out if you just happen to have the cards. Yeah. Absolutely. So, diving a little bit deeper into the strategy itself, we're going to have a look at some of the key cards. Now, I'm going to mention, first of all, the the first card that I think of, anyway, Emma, when it comes to spirits, is one that I absolutely despise, and that is Spell Queller. Oh, God, I hate this thing. I've lost so many games to this stupid card. Yeah. Um, so it is the it is the best spirit when it comes to this is the reason you play spirits is for spell queller. Mm-hmm. Um, it generates ex- excellent tempo. It removes a card from the opponent's hand if it's four mana value or less, and it's also a two free flyer. So it's very evasive. You can get into combat with it. It just gets bigger with the more laws that are in play. It's got high toughness as well. Yeah, this is the reason you play spirits, just because you can just like, yeah, I'm going to counter your, yeah, I'm just going to exile your counter spell, and then I'm going to attack you with this creature that's yeah. underneath it. It's just really effective. Yeah, for sure. And one of the other ones that sort of stands out to me as something that has a tendency to stymie my game plans an awful lot, because it stops instants and sorceries, surprise, surprise, mm. Mausoleum Wanderer, that little one drop that yeah. looks so innocuous and then just yeah. blows you out. It's it's another fantastic disruption option for spirits because it is a hard counter for like instants and sorceries, which is great because a lot of removal is instants and sorceries, so it just protects your spirits, protects the like it stops a combo. Um, it is the best time one playing spirits, which can also kind of change how your opponent approaches their next few turns because they have to respect this mausoleum wanderer. At mm. worst, you can just use it to get aggressive. It can get out of hand if you have like lords and then you have the trigger that when a spirit comes into play gets plus one plus one you can just be attacking for like three or four a turn regularly and it's just a beat stick yeah uh, and then next you have the lords which is the reason why it's a tribal strategy so in pioneer we don't have drug skull captain unfortunately and we probably never will um but you do have supreme phantom and empyrean eagle which are the next best kind of options and supreme phantom so- sees a lot of play in modern anyway in the in the modern spirits build whereas empyrean eagle is the like the drug skull captain sort of replacement mm. and while your spirits don't get hexproof it gives you board plus one plus one it's just a clean lord with supreme phantom it is actually quite relevant that the power and toughness because it's a one free mm-hmm. considering the format is full of like flame blessed bolts magma sprays and wild slashes this can get around a lot of the sort of like quick sort of red removal that's around. Yeah. And especially if you have two of them in play, they're like two fours and they're just like, that's just, they're just blocking for days, right? Yeah. Another one to just to keep an eye out on or, or to respect is Water of the Spheres, which is mm. one that you mentioned earlier. Not only does it give like a power buff to your spirit, so it gives your creatures plus one plus eight, it also discounts any creatures that have flying as well for two mana that does a lot of work. Yeah. There's another one just to 
keep in mind because it does discount like makes your spell color a, a two mana spell which you know is great yeah. not for you but yeah it's me. gross it's gross <laughs> yeah so tell us about collected company and why you should run it in this kind of deck Right, so if you're looking to play Band Spirits and you say you have Azorius and you want to go into Band, Collected Company is the only is the only green card you play. Like you don't mm. you don't play another green card, you just play for Collected Company. Like the modern counterpart, it just allows you to extend your board for four mana at instant speed. Mm. Not really to look for a card, but just to grow your board. It's a really good way to enable aggression. If you just like, yep, yeah, I just want to get like two creatures into play because I need to do like three points more damage, something like that, or like. Post board wipe is a really good way to develop your board again because you know you're a creature strategy. This is how you're killing your opponents. Yeah, um, it's just really, really flexible, really powerful. Band spirits and pioneers a lot slower than the modern variant because we don't have stuff like birds of paradise. The like the land of white elves and elves with mystic doesn't really line up because you don't yeah. need the green so much. But it's just a really good option to have, just to have that in your back pocket. You're not leaning into it completely like you would with the modern version, but it's just there, which is quite nice. Yeah, for sure. Now, when it comes to creature decks like this, the main cards to be aware of, generally speaking, good, efficient removal. Yeah. One that is pretty good is Anger of the Gods. So, yeah. obviously, you know, exiling creatures is good. Not that it's particularly relevant here, but it is still useful. You can sort of get around it by having enough lords on board so that, like, things yeah. don't die to it. But if one of your lords die... It can be like a domino effect, similar to what yeah. we explained, I think, back in the Merfolk episode where we were talking yes. about the domino effect of lords dying uh, with <laughs> yeah. damage-based removal. Like, yeah. It gets very complicated. Um, another one that is one I need to mention on here, actually, is Languish. Um, mm. Because not only is it a board wipe, it does minus damage. So it's minus plus, it's minus minus, which gets around Selfless Spirit. Um, yeah. So Selfless Spirit just dies. It just cleans your board good. So you can't like flash in a selfless spirit, give your board indestructible because it just doesn't matter because it's not damage based. So mm -hmm. that's another thing to keep an eye out on. Not that I think language is around much at the moment, but it's just yeah. something to keep in mind. Yeah, because it's it, a bit, it's, it's a pretty big blowout. Yeah, it is, however, four mana and can be got with a spell queller. So there's that, that at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then lastly, you've just got your targeted removal, so stuff like fate, yeah. fatal push, heartless act, all that stuff. Um, as you rely on your creatures to provide disruption, just clean, efficient removal can disrupt your game plan. And it can, like, for example, remove a spell color that has the spell underneath so they can mm. cast it again. Remove a Skyclave Apparition so they get a token, that sort of thing. Just using your Rattle Chains and your Selfless Spirits is quite clever here because Rattle Chains gives target spirit hexproof so that gets around that it's just so spirits is very reactive so you just have to do stuff in response to your opponent and yeah. in the, with those responses you're developing your board so once you know what you're playing against and the sort of cards to play around you're good to go yeah good matchups what are the good matchups emma so this one's from experience but from what i can tell it's generally a quite a good matchup and that's against that's all of auras mm. um so i found this to be a good matchup especially in your post board because so you have a lot of ways to deal with the creatures. Shacklegeist is a really important card here. Um, so Shacklegeist is a two, it's a two one for two that if you tap two of your own spirits, you can tap a target creature. And considering Orzov Auras cares about attacking with this one big powered up creature, mm. you can just stop combat pretty much exclusively if you have a Shacklegeist in play. 
And plus, you can use Shackle Guys to um, force your opponent's Carmetra's Blessing as well, mm. um, which is a really big one because you want to remove the SRAMs because if you don't deal with the SRAMs early, they get to draw loads of cards and they, they can yeah. overwhelm you. Um, however, you are evasive. They have no way to deal with Flyers, so you can just go over them a lot of the time. It's just more of a case of keep it disrupting them enough so you can go, yeah, I can be aggressive and just finish this off sort of thing. Yeah. But overall, I found the matchup to be quite favourable. Yeah. I would imagine as well that Niv to Light would be a good matchup in general because yeah. you're pretty fast, you're pretty disruptive, and they want to land singular large spells that yeah, can be very they're, easily stopped. They're, they're, pre- they're pretty slow out the gates, to be honest, so mm. it gives you time to deploy those Maudalene Wanderers, hold up that spell colour. And if you're in Azorius especially, you'd want to hold up the counter for Niv because yeah. Niv is a bit of a problem. But you can Shacklegeist it as well if it does manage to land. So you can just keep it tapped out so it can't block any, kill any of your flyers. Yeah. Um, but overall, you just choose to be the aggressor in that sort of matchup because it takes them three, two to three turns to get set up because they need Nibmizzet to pop off. Yeah, that's fair. And... <sighs> I'm sorry. God damn. <laughs> Lotus Combo is another good matchup for you. Yeah, so with Lotus Combo, it can take a little while for them to get out of the gates to prepare and get their Lotus lands on turned on. Um, so often you just want to keep hands with like one or two mausoleum wanderers and a couple of spell colors. And sometimes you can just be aggressive. You can just curve out and kill them as well. They don't have much ways to gain life, so you can just be the aggressor in this instance as well. Uh-huh. So tell us then about a bad matchup, Emma. So one of the worst matchups I've found is against Boris Burn. Okay. So the combination of just targeted removal... Um, even though mm. there is no lightning bolts in the format, there's a lot of targeted removal. They're hyper-aggressive, so they can just get out of the gates much quicker than you. Mm. And Eidolon the Great Revel exists, and that card sucks against a, a deck that has one mana and two mana and three mana creatures. It's just really tough to beat, um, especially if the burn player knows what they're doing. Because a lot of burn players will just be aggressive. Sometimes being the controlling burn player is yeah. what wins these games and you need to be that way against spirits for sure um so if the burn players experience and they just hit like the spell colors and the mausoleum wanderers it's pretty uh easy for them plus soul scar mage is a really awkward one as well because of the wither effect that can mm. really um shrink your lords as well skyclave apparitions does help because it can get rid of some of the more problematic cards yeah. but the matchup's still not great yeah yeah i can imagine another matchup that makes me very happy oh, I'm is <laughs> uh, when i play is a phoenix um, against spirits, generally, like you, Phoenix decks are full of removal. They've like yes. fourteen pieces of removal in the main deck, and that's more than enough to deal with basically everything that you're doing. And then also, I get treasure crews, so I could just refill my hand, and you don't. So yeah, and also you yeah. have these arc light phoenixes that just come back that can block spirits. You also have crackling Drake. Yeah. Which yeah. is like an X4, which is really awkward as well, because I have to have at least a two, three laws to kind of deal with it, right? Yeah. Um, and plus you have Anger of the Gods as well. Yeah. That's the one card that everybody... I know this is a slight tangent about Phoenix, but it's the one card that everyone's like, oh, why does Phoenix run Anger of the Gods? It exiles your own Phoenixes. Like, you, you know that you can choose when to cast it when your birds are not you on the board, right? You do know Crackling Drake exists, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I exile my Phoenixes. My Crackling Drakes get bigger. Oh, wait, yeah. you're dead. Congrats. Yeah. Read the um, card. <laughs> yeah. And then the last bad matchup that we have on the list here, I don't know pretty much anything about this at all, so I'm going to leave this one entirely to yourself, Emma. Yes, because this is like a newer strategy, right? Mm. Um, so this is, we talked about John Sack and like the Citadel decks. 
Um, this matchup's particularly rough. A, if the sack player is well experienced, which they usually are because you don't normally get inexperienced sack players. They're, they're a special breed, right? Mm. They, they like their game action, so they all seek it out. This is rough if A, they're experienced, and B, they have Mayhem Devil. Yeah. Because Mayhem Devil just machine guns your board. A lot of your stuff's X1s. You can try to outrace them if they have a slow start, but the combination of Mayhem Devil, and especially if they run Corvold in these lists, mm. it can just stonewall you really hard because he's a Corvold to fly himself, right? Yeah. Also, you need to be careful when you do play against it because you don't want to sacrifice your Selfless Spirits and your Mausoleum Wanderers because that triggers Mayhem Devil. Yeah. And you don't want that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a pretty rough one just because Mayhem Devil can just do incremental damage and just pick off Lords and then all your stuff dies. It's not, it's not ideal. It's yeah. not an ideal matchup. So, turns out the fast or efficient decks are tricky, but anything that's like slower or clunkier is. A combo and control you're pretty good against. Like, like in modern, if it's hyper aggressive or, you know, you just have multiple answers, then yeah, you're going to struggle. But otherwise, Band Spirits and Azori Spirits are pretty well positioned in Mm. the Pioneer meta game at the moment. They're a really solid choice to to get started. Um, I'm rebuilding Band Spirits now as well, so I'm quite excited to give that a roll again at some point. Yeah, for sure. All right, so to round this out, we're going to talk about some tips and tricks when it comes to spirits. So this is your baby, your deck, Emma. So why don't you kick us <laughs> off with the first tip? Um, so like with the modern version of spirits, well, knowing when to become the aggressor is the hardest part of playing spirits. What do I mean by that is at what point do you go, I've been the disruptor. At what point do I turn the corner and go, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to mm. be the aggressor. I need to finish this game. So it's just knowing at what point to play that spell card without having a valid target just as a tempo play to push mm. through those two, three points worth of damage, right? There is no real answer to it because every archetype is different and you approach them all differently. Mm-hmm. And you only find that out through playing lots and lots of games, right? Yeah. But there is a really, really good article by Michael Flores, uh, formerly of SCG, who did an article called What's the Beatdown? And it goes into incredible detail on knowing when to be the aggressor and how to be the aggressor with these style of decks. Um, And he sums it up much better than I can do. And it's free to read. So I'd recommend just reading that. It's one of those sort of evergreen articles that I refer back to once in a while. Yeah, to be honest, not not to like gatekeep terms or anything like that, but you're not... you. I, I genuinely think you, in order to be a magic player, you need to read Who's the Beatdown. If you yeah, haven't read it's, that, it's, it's mandatory reading. It's like yeah. learning how to tap lands. It's yeah. mandatory in order to be a halfway decent magic player. And it applies in all formats. It's not just like tempo decks. It's not just Pioneer. It's not. It's everything. Commander, yeah. draft, everything. 100%. Article gushing aside, however, I'm going to talk about Mausoleum <laughs> Wanderer because, you know... God damn, I hate that card. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not just a disruptive tool, though. It is one of the best aggressors uh, for the early game in the in the deck. Because you can stack your lords in such a way that, like, Mausoleum Wanderer becomes, like, a 3-4 or 3-3 three, three, or 4-4 four, four like, on, like, turn 2 or 3. And just start beating in the air for that alone with that one creature is huge. And then at any point, you can use it to effectively stonewall a spell. Like, yeah. It's extremely versatile, and again, knowing whether you're going to be the beatdown or the control or whichever, read who's yeah. the beatdown once again, yeah. and you'll figure it out. You know, it, yeah. but it's super, super powerful. It's way stronger than it first seems. I agree. Um, yeah. It's one of the more powerful. It's one of the more sort of um, underappreciated cards in the strategy because a lot of people just see it as sacrifice fodder for spells. I'm like, no, mm. 
it's it's a a one man to kill you as well. So the interesting thing about Collector Company, right? Don't get me wrong, it's a very powerful Mm -hmm. card. It allows you to refill your board in a pinch. But Collector Company, it doesn't act as your extra copies of like Spell Queller or any other spirit that you need in a given situation in in a match, right? In most cases, it's better to play these like these collect companies post board wipe, as I mentioned earlier, to refill your board because how else are you going to kill your opponent, yeah. right? So instead of doing it in response to like say there's a raffle god and you're in response, I'm going to collect a company hoping I find a spell card to exile <laughs> this thing, and you're not going to find it because it's a collector company. You probably haven't done the probability or the maps right, right? and then you just you lose out on a on a powerful card and other spirits die as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so doing that is a trap so don't treat your collector companies like they're spirits just treat it as a way to refill your board and um, post sort of board wipe removal yeah. whatever if you're very good on the probability side of things you could probably figure it out but it's just safer to play on the cautious side and mm. just use it as a refill rather than hi i'm very smart i'm gonna do this thing um don't get me wrong when you hit a spell quite when you need to have a collector yeah. company it feels fantastic but it doesn't happen as often as you think yeah yeah, 100%. It's a bit of bias involved there, I think. <laughs> Next one I'm going to talk about, Rattle Chains, giving your other spirits flash. So People forget this so much. Yeah, this is bananas. <laughs> like, casting a Skyclave Apparition at instant speed is ridiculous. Wonderful. Absolutely ridiculous. And, like, flushing in Mausoleum Wanderer to just be, like, a force spike even is yeah. unreal. It's absolutely ridiculous. So... If you have a Rattle Chains out, or if you hold up the mana for a Rattle Chains plus something else, your opponent has to respect that. Because yeah. if they don't, they could just, you know, die or lose their, like, most important thing. Like, it's so, so important. So, yeah, Rattle Chains is a, a huge my, utility my creature. Spirit. Yeah, yeah, huge in this. The Hexproof is really relevant as well, mm. um, because it's just a two for one. Yeah. And especially in like, I'm going to talk about modern for a second, when you've got mm-hmm. stuff like, you know, rock decks and like heavy removal style decks, it's just a two for one. And you want a two for one, the decks are trying to two for one you, so it just feels great. So I just run four in Pioneer every time. Yeah. And I'm always happy. Mm-hmm. Also, on a last note, Skyclave Apparition does not fly. I feel like I need to make that note. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we're very used to, we're very used to having. I think there was a period in um, like Eldritch Moon, Innistrad, uh, Shadows Over Innistrad Standard, where all the spirits had flying, yep. and we got really comfortable with the idea. <laughs> so now people attacking with a Skyclave apparition, thinking it has flying, I'm just like, no, it doesn't. No. Unless unless you've got a way to give it flying, but in yeah. most cases it don't, right? Finally, playing either Bant or Zoe spirits is easy to pilot, but it's quite hard to master. Mm. There are a lot of intricacies that come through with experience, so don't beat yourself too up if you don't get these straight away. Often a reflection of spirits, how you are as a player, is based on your knowledge, based mm. on like your your knowledge of cards, your knowledge of deck lists, what are like the most important cards I should play around, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the strategy rewards you for knowing all this stuff, right? Especially mm-hmm. in Pioneer. Um and the more in the only way you get better at that is just playing. So just keep playing reps, just play against all these different decks. You can fine-tune your lists and so forth. You are going yeah. to lose a little bit first, but that's fine because the more you play, the better you'll just get and then your win percentage just goes up. Yep. As with basically every deck ever, reps are the best thing that you can yeah. give yourself Yeah, for a deck. Yeah. All right. And that is pretty much it for Azorius and Band Spirits. Now, if you are looking for some extra tips and 
tricks and that kind of stuff. Emma has compiled a collection of things like opening hands and mulliganing decisions and that kind of thing over on the show notes. So if you're not yet a Patreon subscriber, you can sub over there and get access to the show notes with all the stuff in here, along with what is basically a fully transcribed equivalent of the entire episode when it comes to the tips and tricks, the good matchups, bad matchups, cards to be aware of, all of that stuff, it's all there. So if you want to head over to patreon.com forward slash the BM cast, it is all there for you as well. Mm-hmm. So we're at the end, Emma. Mm-hmm. We're at the Q&A section. What have we got? So we've got a handful this week. So let's start with both thoughts from the BMCast Discord. Mm-hmm. And they asked, looking at the uh, MTG Vegas uh, content and lists, it looks like the paper meta is not too similar from like, the Magic Online meta game. Mm-hmm. While rental options are great for all of us getting to play the next dope and expensive thing, mm-hmm. it also changes the meta a lot faster than it used to be, right? Yeah. And especially if you had to own the cards. Um, is that an issue, do you find? Or do you just think... You know, uh, is it just a case of paper and online diverging and it's fine? To be honest, I, I always think paper and online have been different because yeah. for a number of reasons, not just in terms of like the rental services and everything, but there are some decks that are just unplayable online. For example, mm-hmm. the reason that Belcher just appeared out of nowhere, despite having basically no people playing it whatsoever post Simeon Spirit Guide ban, was because Recross the Paths was bugged on MTGO, so you literally couldn't use it. So now that it's fixed, it started to show up online a lot. And now people are starting to buy into it like myself in paper. So there's not as much in paper as there is online and it wasn't existing online at all. So, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why that is different. And like, that's just one example. There are other things as well, like, you know, there are still people in paper playing Boomer Jund and haven't changed it for three years because... Well, they feel they've already invested in the deck and they shouldn't have to change it in order to make it into Jund Sagavan or whatever the hell it's called now. Like, mm. yeah, the the rental stuff is great. It really is. And I think, like, in an ideal world, if we just had unlimited access to whatever cards we felt like, it would be ideal. But in paper, that's an awful lot of money. Like, we've got, we've got a brick of money just sitting there in, like, a, a deck box. And yeah. it's very hard to sort of change or move from that and a lot of people don't want to as well they're like this is what i do i go to modern events and i play my jund deck and i go like two four and i refuse to drop and you know like (laughs) sorry i'll stop bragging on jund players now but like (laughs) yeah it's it's it definitely has a huge delta between paper and online and i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing it's just i think it's fine yeah i just think it's fine I'm I'm kind of happy, you know. You have these paper modern events or these FNs where you have the John guy mm. or you know the humans guy, and they just play that iteration of the deck because they just love playing it. It's not necessarily being the most optimized thing ever. Mm-hmm. They just really enjoy it, and that's what like magic is for me. It's not necessarily playing a different deck each week on Modo because I have a a mana trader subscription that just about reaches what I want to play because you know MH two has blown that all out of the water. So yeah. I kind of like it. It, has, it gives it that personality. Um, so we got a tweet from Evie the Mage. Um, so they've got a fun question, apparently, for us this week. Okay. Um, how do you both feel about hybrid mana in EDH? As in, like, should it be changed so that monocolor decks can run hybrid Yeah, cards? so should it be mm. changed or should it stay the same? I very strongly feel that it should be changed so that monocolor decks can run hybrid cards. For example, a white deck should absolutely be able to run Kitchen Finks. And I don't care what anyone says about it being like, oh, it's not flavorful, it's not this, it's not that. It's like, listen, unless every single one of your decks is exactly themed 
to be perfect like all your basic lands are like Innistrad lands for your Edgar Markov deck or your whatever then I don't want to hear it it's trash let people play with the cards the way they want to in the decks they want to and that's it end of story sorry I, I feel very strongly on this I, I'm with you like it, it's just I don't know it just feels like one of those things I should have changed by now if, it feels like old hat it's like an old hat rule isn't it yeah exactly like, if, if a card can be played using the mana that your deck produces then that card can go in your deck yeah full stop just oh, I don't know. easy as. Hopefully, hopefully it will change soon. Let's put that <laughs> way. Um, they also say, in other news, my love for Fnatic of Mogis has grown even more since it won me a couple of modern events re- recently off the oh. back of Shaman Tribal, mm-hmm. which is a dollar each at the moment. Also a great card. I remember playing that one in standard quite a bit. Yeah. Sweet one. So Zach LW on the BMCast Discord asks, do you constantly update your commander decks? Mm. Do you feel the pressure to add more staples and... Uh, to offer more competitiveness to your pods to, to keep up essentially not necessarily competitiveness um, I, this is a question for you because yeah. I don't have a commander <laughs> deck <laughs> so I update them when the mood strikes uh, so mm-hmm. if, if a new set comes out and I see like one or two things I probably won't update it if I see yeah. a new set coming out and there's a couple of new things, like it's a few more than normal, I'd be like, okay, I might have to revisit it. Or, you know, if there's a few, uh, if after like three or four sets, there's not been much going on, I'm like, you know, I should mm. just revisit an update to be sure. But yeah, I don't really feel the pressure to add more staples to have decks compete in the pods, uh, mostly because like the only reason that staples are staples is because they're the best version of those cards. And you don't necessarily need to run them. And what you'll notice, actually, the article for the card draw cards in Commander that I'm releasing this week, uh, I highlight in it as well. It's like, yeah, these are some of the best equivalents of these kinds of effects. But I strongly, strongly urge you, and I mention it at least twice in the article, to go and do your own research and find the right ones for the deck. Because there could Mm -hmm. be a card that works uniquely with that commander to be better than the staple and that kind of thing. So, no, I'm, I'm... generally speaking like i will nearly always add a couple of staples because they're just there they're handy i have five of them in a box or whatever you know but yeah wherever possible if i find something that can work better and yes it does require more time and effort but if i find something better like it's getting swapped 100 percent. for sure yeah joe cheney has got a couple of questions for us off the uh, bmcast discord the first one is what's on your christmas list this year uh, christmas what do you want what what do you want from santa this year Oh God! Um, I I have a hot take when it comes to Christmas presents that I will say after your after ooh. your answer. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> Might get me in a bit of hot water, but this is a. <laughs> what is on my Christmas list this year? Honestly, I've kind of reached that point where I'm like, um, I don't know, uh, stuff. I guess like yeah, like I could I could go for like maybe a nice jacket, you know, or oh. like. Like a few, a, co- a couple more like these cardigans or whatever, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Like not to sound like an owl lad or something, you know, because I, I, I certainly don't feel like an owl lad. I, it's just, I'm, I'm just not really wanting for a lot of stuff. And I think, I think part of this is to do with the fact that I have a limited tolerance for Christmas in general. Like I'm not, I'm not wild about Christmas. I don't hate it. I'm not wild about it. You know, like I'll, I'll take the, the few days at home with the family, the Christmas dinner, the whole lot, whatever. But when you start getting blasted with ads and stuff for christmas from late october early november i gotta be honest it's a month away from christmas as of the time of recording this give or take a day or two and i'm already waiting for it to be over 
Like, I feel like I've already had the Christmas where I've had yeah. the, like, pressure about having to worry about getting presents and spending time with family and doing this and doing that. That's the thing, I'm right? Kind of done. The, the least Christmassy part of Christmas is the day itself, right? Because yeah. everything else just happens before it. And that, that kind of makes me sad because I, I enjoy Christmas. I love the idea of Christmas. Yeah. One thing I hate about Christmas, and here's my hot take, is the, the idea of gift giving because it's fairly anxiety-inducing, right? Trying to... Yeah. The maintenance of getting all these presents for people kind of not you know getting stuff that they might like and then you're worried that they might not like it sort of thing is this is intense pressure right um yeah. so i'm i'm not big on that that's like my hot take that might be more of a warm take but yeah I was christmas, for say, me yeah. More, christmas christmas for me is more about like just seeing family and eating good food and stuff and just hanging out that's that's what it is for me rather than the the material side of it yeah i guess to, to be honest to be honest and not to sound like you know one of those like grumps that like ruins christmas and stuff that's that's not what i want to be like i, no. I i'm happy to have christmas at christmas time and enjoy it 100 percent. and i don't begrudge anyone that's like you know putting their tree up in november or whatever like i'm just like yeah you know what you do your own thing that's fine however when i go to watch like a youtube video during my lunch mm. or something and i'm hit over the course of 20 minutes with six different christmas ads when i'm trying to take a break come on yeah. come on what, what, what? It's, a bit, it's a bit much and on the side note onto joe's question yes. i have no clue because i if i if i need something mm-hmm. i tend to buy it yeah and if i get presents i like them to be practical as in i'd like to use them mm. for like every day or whatever but then i just buy them so i'm just impossible to buy for yeah. like cheese i guess buy me some cheese like food <laughs> i'll take food oh if someone really cares about me they can buy me a standing desk there we go oh standing desk mm. are great that's a good shout yeah very very good um and then joe cheney asked me asked another question which is directed at me because it's great british mm-hmm. bake-off um how do you feel about the ending of this season's great british bake-off overall fine because the person the best person won and i knew it was going to be that from the start because you could just tell that they were ridiculous at it yeah so i, I can't really complain i think it's like the best person won in the end so yeah Neat. no no rants unfortunately <laughs> How, but then how are we going to end this episode there's no smart take <laughs> we, at the end <laughs> thank you for listening to us here at the BM cast and a special thanks to our patrons at the cheering fanatic tier we have Alejandro Kilgore Trout 503 Max Makes Magic The Jess Guy The Joe Cheney Nicholas Martin Bradley Rose Ian Holland Christopher McCarthy Tom Telford Anton Clement Edward Whitney Evil Vanilla Glaze Matthew O'Neill Anthony Burchett Morgan Roberts MF Peaches and Miss Eldridge And at the Stonks tier we have Anga Orr Scott Creech Simon Grip Brian Madden A Nice Planeswalker Nerblin Everett Brogan Alex Gibson Bo Schwartz Madsen Mickey Paris Mark Davis Coffee Spencer Stack and Zachary Morrow thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air we cannot thank you enough if you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people head on over to patreon.com forward slash the bmcast if you have any questions comments or sweet brews you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on twitter at the bmcast and we'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck